My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is dynamic, award-winning concert pianist Asya Korpanova. Asya has been performing music around the world for well over a decade. She's the only pianist currently performing Franz Liszt's 24 Etudes as a single program, and one of the few to tout a concerto list that features over 60 works. If you have no idea what this means, suffice it to say that she is a badass, like a really powerful performing artist. But she's more than just an interpreter or a, kind of a performer of past tradition. She has someone who has spent much of her career taking more obscure pieces and bringing them into the light. One of her projects, a YouTube vlog called Midnight Pieces, was launched back in September of 2017. And it shares 53 performances of short works. And all of them are beautifully produced, recorded, and capture the spirit and energy that I think many people of my generation kind of 
millennial cusp and back into millennial and beyond, and maybe even some before the Gen Xers and Gen Zers, many of us don't really understand the depth and soul of classical music. It's been, we've been removed from it by virtue of history and elitism and culture and all that stuff. And Ostia just brings that right back to the fore. She is soulful, thoughtful, virtuosic player who deeply, deeply, deeply loves music. She started, she's from Russia, as you'll hear, and in her formative years, she received various awards for her abilities, and she moved to the States in 2012. Since then, she's played at Carnegie Hall, the Phillips Collection, the International Miami Piano Festival, and countless others. And she also started a nonprofit designed to introduce young people to the beauty and magic of classical music. This conversation is so fun. I really hope you enjoy it, and I really hope you enjoy hearing some of some of her music. I trust that the light and power of it will come through to you when you hear the person behind the playing. So, let's get settled in and hear what Asia has for us. Good morning, Asia. <laughs> Good morning, Andy. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is so exciting. Our mutual friend Christos, who was a, an early guest on the show, in his work with the Autumn Salon, brought us together because I got to see you perform on one of his virtual series maybe two months ago now. Something like that. Yeah, and there was, there was just a wonderful... What I experience in you as an artist and a performer is this fierce joy. Like the fierceness shows up and and your unbelievable technique, your unbelievable range of expression and dynamics. And like, there's just so much happening musically when you play, which people will get to hear some of, but also it seems like you're having a lot of fun. <laughs> Is that right? Like, that's how I experience it. Is that right? Like you really like have... get a lot from it. Oh yeah. Sorry. Go I do have a lot of fun, but I also... <laughs> It is a, it is a um, road that goes both ways. Mm. You experience fun yourself, and you draw people into your fun. But at the same time, especially in a setting of live performance, which is you know much harder to experience over a live stream or something, you are getting drawn into people's fun as well mm. and fun being a very of course uh kind of simple word for a wide array of emotions and experiences that one may uh get at a musical concert not necessarily classical or or any any other type of music but i have always sensed my people, <laughs> you know, you play for people and it's just like, it's like electrical current. It's just like, and depending on where you are yourself in your state of mind or state of being or state of what have you, it is easier or more difficult for you to connect with your people. <laughs> mm. Mm. And 
It is very interesting about, I think, performing arts in general. There is this connection aspect and there is a purely technical, crafty aspect. And there are moments when you have a very good performance in terms of of your art, in terms of your craft, in terms of Mm. how it is made. Mm. But something in you is not settled and you're you don't feel very well connected. And sometimes you're, it's, it's almost your craft goes wasted. Yeah, you did an excellent job and people just like, yeah, yeah, it was very good. But you feel that that connection wasn't 100% genuine. And there are moments when you're not, in the, in the, in, you're not feeling well or something is going wrong or, you know, there are moments in life when you're not 100%, 100% prepared as you, you think you should be. And some things go wrong in terms of craft. I don't know, you miss notes or something something else goes out goes bad. But you have this at the same time this right moment in you and you are connected with people. Mm-hmm. And people are all over the place. It's like, oh my god, this was the best concept in my life. <laughs> and and you listen to them and you're just like, yeah, but but you know. I messed up there and, and here, and you still think it's 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 good. Oh my god, it was the best. <laughs> so this duality of 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 performing arts, I think, is something that we're not being taught in a music school. Mm. In a music school or in an, any professional institution, uh there are professors and there are mentors who talk about these things, but it is rare. And so you rather are learning to execute the professionalism uh, mm-hmm. and professional part of it, which is on its own a grueling and, you know, uh, a very a long road of getting to the right place and getting yourself to the right place in terms of what you're capable of and how you expressing yourself in repertoire you know there are many aspects but um an ability to be aware of that second layer at the same time to am i am i present uh am i listening to my audience while listening to myself because when you listen to your audience, you know, sometimes you're so connected, you feel how they breathe with you. Yeah. Sometimes uh, you're so connected with them that you can bring an attention of a 2,000-seat hall to one note. Just because you're so focusing on that and you want them to focus and because you're listening to them, this, you know, goosebumpy silence emerges because everyone is listening to the same thing it's just like and 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 that's that's magical
I'm getting some goosebumps just like um, connecting to that that moment. I have some experiences as an audience member of what that's like. Yeah. There's almost a kind of magic to it. And magic, again, is a simple word, right? Like fun is a simple word. Magic is a simple word that kind of, there's something ineffable. Yeah. You know it when you feel it kind of thing. The goosebumps yeah, well, is a good sign. Yeah, there's a diff, you, know, you can call it uh, sacredness as well. Yeah. And uh, that's a better word. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, you know, there are people who are um, using music and their role in music as a some kind of a spiritual uh, process where your music is your healing point. Your music is uh, something that am I faithful to my music or not? Uh, something like that. But also. So, you know, the, there have been eras in music, you know, such as Baroque music and uh, beginning of the classical uh, period where people were writing a lot of music that was related to a religious uh, mm-hmm. canon and they they felt God through music mm-hmm. and they wrote their music for the God. And like in case of Bach, you can actually feel it pretty, pretty, pretty clearly. Yeah. 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 Is there, um, I want to go a little deeper into this territory, into what you called that second layer, that layer of connection where everyone is listening as one. You're listening to your audience. They're listening to you. There's some sacredness in that or magic in that. Does that just show up for you in unexpected and surprising ways? Is it something that you actively and consciously attempt to summon or embody is it a happy accident is there some element of choice or agency that you have or is it just kind of like oh this is it's happening right now and you just can ride it how do you how do you enter into that space um i would say oh it's gonna sound so Oh, okay. So there's this glory in music. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what mood this music is and doesn't matter what style it is. Every style, every type of music, every uh, genre. I would say the glory is not in, in, in the, in the um, style or type or form, but how it is employed right and so when i find something unbelievable i sort of i live in the moment so strongly that i draw i i i feel that connection to um it's like you're screaming quietly like look at this (laughs) (laughs) look at this so you know, when one starts uh, a process of learning how to meditate, the majority of guides would bring you to the sensation of your breathing. Yeah. And through that, you then start paying attention to other things. And it is very similar where and actually at a certain point 
in music you also realize like oh i'm playing and i'm not aware of my breathing and once you start being aware of your breathing while you're playing all, all sorts of magical things happen mm. but <clears throat> it's like you're you're so focused on 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 portraying something that you see in this particular melody or motif or what have you that you start noticing other things around you and you start including others in that circle i would i would put it this way this this is a wonderful question i like it <laughs> it took me a moment tell. to yeah. think like oh, how exactly do i describe that because it's it, it became a second nature for for a while and yes you tune in it's not like you went on stage and boom yeah, you know, there is a reason why on certain days you're more closed and on certain days you're you're more open. It is also depending on how well you can tune into what you're you're doing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I love this idea of including becoming aware of and including others in the circle. There's a way in which uh I get the sense that that either consciously or unconsciously people have this idea that the person up on the stage is apart from the people sitting in the chairs or standing in the, and standing on the floor. But what I really hear you saying is that, that at its best, there's no, maybe not no distinction, but both you and the listener are playing a co-creative, really critical, essential role to the experience. I have to say <clears throat> there is a lot of conversation going on around you know classical music being elitist, classical music being separating the audience from the performers, classical music being this and that and this and that. <clears throat> and I really want to comment on that because classical music started as pretty much court music, right? Yeah. Folks like Mozart and Beethoven wrote for counts and you know lords and other other you know you know people of that stature. And then during Mozart's lifetime who wrote you know uh the magic flute for the theater that wasn't necessarily <laughs> very very noble, right? Uh, and other composers following those steps, things started to spill out. Mm -hmm. mm. But because of the origin, think think about it. 200 years ago, very closed circle of people could witness certain types of music. Mm -hmm. In mm. case of Baroque music, there are composers who for decades... And centuries were only performed in court. And even musicologists of centuries later did not know about their existence because uh, all of their music and what they created remained in archives. Mm. But so many things happened since then. And music is not locked anymore. But people... I think project their own insecurities on the music. Hmm. They think, oh, this is elitist and I'm not. 
for whatever reason they they may think of themselves as not or not deserving something or not being right society whatever and they assume that because the classical music originated in high class society it's not for them hmm. but it is it is as false as it only can get you know because music has no class uh, can I quote you that music has no class? I love it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, the, it has a standard of quality yes. that makes yes. it genius and glorious. Yes. Musicians have to adhere to uh, a certain craft and certain standard of playing for, for music to be enjoyable. The composers need to also adhere to certain ideas of composition that make the music uh like make a response in in us yeah in that way yes there is a higher class musicians lower class musicians (laughs) you know know. same with shoes you know (laughs) there's Prada and there's Gap you know (laughs) or whatever I mean I don't don't want to put anyone down but just like there's a sense of quality right yes but And but all of us of, can act as a listener. All of us, I hear you saying, can but are invited to access like, that quality. You're like you're like a plug in. You plug in. That's it. Yeah. And 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 it saddens me very much that at a certain point I noticed that music started to, started to be a, a medium in you know all sorts of political discussions because mm. like it it is. It's completely about other things. And uh, I myself witnessed so many times how music can affect people who had no idea about it before. And I will give you a couple examples. Back in Moscow, I had uh, my husband's friends. And he, uh, uh, growing up, he played in the... Uh, a few rock bands <laughs> and he has a this this group of people whom whom uh he loves and they love him and they're very good friends they're like death metal people you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're just like as brutal as it only gets <laughs> and, um, Mozart, who what <laughs> and so my husband once convinced this group of people to come to my philharmonic recital to like mm. <clears throat> moscow philharmonic society mm. <laughs> i was as proud as as anyone can get but in the middle of a hall <laughs> there were these people in leather <laughs> in chains you know in like boots and <laughs> long hair <laughs> these, you know uh t-shirts with quite aggressive <laughs> imagery <laughs> and i was playing schubert <laughs> and chopin Mm. No, they cried. Yeah. yeah. They had never heard any of this before whatsoever. And they were like grown up people. <clears throat> mm. They cried. And then they were just like, I don't know what's going on with me. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> they, they came, they came, even though they, they felt quite insecure among, you know, ladies uh, uh, that weren't, I don't know. Uh, looking at them, you know, old ladies, how <laughs> old ladies can get. <laughs> like, who the hell is this <laughs> sitting next to me? <laughs> uh, 
And uh, uh, they had this experience that was essentially transformative for them because they, they discovered something and they had no idea they were actually so open to that, right? Second experience I had is very similar. I played uh, also back in Russia. I played in, um, in a teenage prison. <laughs> similar experience. Also played some Beethoven and inmates were just like completely stunned and uh, some of them were also like having tears and also they were, and you know, you come to the prison, there's no like grand piano or Steinberg or whatever you, you get like a, a crappy upright that <laughs> thankfully has all notes playing <laughs> and you play something. I, I played also Beethoven. I played some Mozart and some Bach and these people grew up on like cheap Russian pop music, which is, Quite bad. <laughs> tell, us how you, tell us how you really feel, Astia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's not, it's not yeah. very high quality music. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> it was just something completely uh, new to them and being locked in that facility for whatever mm. crimes they were doing. And, you know, these people, you know, they're robbers, rapers, and, you know, all these, all these sorts of... Uh, crimes that that happen and the third experience is completely different um a few years ago i started uh, a few years ago i won a competition in shreveport louisiana and the director of that competition <clears throat> she lives in jackson mississippi and uh as a winner of the competition i got a lot of uh concert opportunities throughout the country in different states but the first one was actually in Jackson, Mississippi. I played at this piano conference, uh, played a recital and, and, and did a little speech. And after that, uh, this uh, wonderful lady, Lester Wilson, uh, the director of the competition, she said, you know, um, <clears throat> and I was, I was going to leave the, earlier that day, but she's like, we have this wonderful art school, private school in the, uh, in, in the city. Uh, called St. Andrew's School. And we have all sorts of kids uh, doing some arts there. And if you could come and, you know, mm. play a little bit for them. I know it's like a, a last-minute thing, but... And I said, sure. And we're going there. <clears throat> it's like 8.30 a.m. I have no idea what I'm going to do because she just asked about it, like, late, late in the evening. I had no idea what the kids are I don't even know, is it going to be middle schoolers, elementary schoolers, high school? Like, I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really have enough time to prepare what exactly would I play to a certain group of people, knowing what they are. <laughs> and so I go there. I walk in the room. There is a, another upright and some 200 kids on the floor, <clears throat> aged from maybe 7 to 11, 12. Uh, so. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, God. Think, <laughs> think, 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 think. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Ah! <laughs> so, and I was just like, play for them. Like, the idea is part because I, 
I was very pressured in time. I'm just going to play for them whatever I played yesterday at the, the, the <clears throat> piano conference. And I played for them some Ravel, some Balakirev, some uh, Beethoven, and like big, big, uh, serious pieces. But all of these pieces were quite virtuosic and very colorful. And none of them was like massively long, but all of them had this energy and substance, whatever. And I remember playing for kids on other occasions when you specifically go to kids and you ask, well, can you play a little bit of Nutcracker and a little bit of this and a little mm. bit of that? Mm. And yeah, kids like it, but attention span is like 10 minutes and then they start, you know, talking to each other and like really shifting away from you. So I played a 45-minute recital for these kids in with this repertoire, this, you know, Badass repertoire, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were as silent as flies. <laughs> and then they were coming over and saying, I didn't know piano music can be so interesting. So the next year, it took me a few months to figure it out. I started a non-profit music for minds. Yes. Where I started doing these things regularly because I started doing these things, things regularly and found out that, you know, this, what I call it, non-condescending approach yes. is making a huge difference because so many times people want to make things for kids accessible, <laughs> where we assume that they're not they're not enough of, uh, 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 uh. they're not going to understand it or they're not going to sit through it or they're not going to this. And something has to be very simple. <clears throat> but if you write, uh, if you read uh, bios of big minds of the past, Einstein, you know, people, people of that caliber, Almost all of them have this uh, experience of connecting with, with classical music um, and that experience being transformative for them. Some mm. of them became amateur uh, musicians playing an instrument. But what was the first experience? It wasn't Mary Had a Little Lamb. No. It was either an opera or a symphony or a ballet or something big, something that completely blows you away. And these days and age when computer games and cartoons are so intense and colorful and have so much soundtrack and have so much going on, there's also already a different standard of experience. So if you come and you want to show this other world to, uh, to kids before they can be drawn into the quiet examples of that, such as mm -hmm. uh, Schubert or Schumann or, or, you know, there, there can be infinite examples of composers, but all of them have pieces that are not active, not virtuosic, are almost like colored 
silence in a sense. And, <laughs> and to be able to experience that, you need to go through a lot of other uh, examples to be open to that. Because if you go to a person and, and give a little person and give them uh, a simplified example of something, yeah, it's not going to ring a bell. It's not going right. to do anything. They, they, they would say, oh, it is boring. And they would be right. Yeah, there's what's that's coming through to me is actually in all three of your examples, but to take the third one to mm-hmm. and play with it a bit, there's a, a a sort of negative feedback loop of saying to okay, these are kids, so can you just play a little bit of Nutcracker, a little bit of whatever, yeah, it's right? And then and yeah, you condescend not... to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the kids are like, oh, okay, got it. Yep, this is boring. Got it. Like, let's let's talk to each other. And, and so, and then the adults go, see, they can't listen. They can't even pay attention for two minutes. Exactly. Right. And so, you know what, actually it's just, we just have to accept that we can only give them a little bit of this and then they're not going to enjoy it. But you just went, oh, well, I don't know what to play. So I'm just going to play what I played for everyone else. And it's yeah. <laughs> and then there were instances when I played for, uh, older mid, mid, middle schoolers and high schoolers. And they would come and say, oh, my mom or my dad made me take piano, violin, whatever lessons. And I hated it. It was painful and my experience wasn't good and I was bored or whatever. But I've never heard anything like this. And so now after hearing this, I want to go back and start yeah. again. Yeah. And oh, that awesome. is just like when I, not only I get goosebumps, it's just like, like a shower <laughs> of goosebumps. Like, this is what I want. This is what I'm doing this year. <laughs> so, oh. so that is a ultimate victory moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that, to recognize that even one person in the midst of that audience has, you've potentially changed the course of their life in terms of how they're going to spend their time and their energy and that happened because they heard you play your music. It's really, no really cool. No pressure. <laughs> right. But you don't, it's like, you don't have, that doesn't ha- have to happen. They might just say that was beautiful. 
they might just say thank you but they might say you changed my life and all of those possibilities are quite lovely because there's there's invitation there there's a sense in all of your examples what i hear in all of them is you're stepping into spaces where other people have said either you know i'm thinking especially about the prison but even to a certain extent the concert hall people have said like this is a certain kind of place and certain kind of things happen in this place mm-hmm. and you're walking in and saying well what if this happens in this place Right. And that place might be inside the listener's heart or it might be inside the concert hall or it might be inside the prison. But you're bringing in something different and just and just putting it on the metaphorical table. And and there's an invitation there to the listener to see something that maybe they've never seen before about themselves or about art or about the world that I don't know, has a very door opening quality that I just think is a really important, it's sort of the way that you're sharing your music, which is not the way that everyone shares their music, feels like a really important part of uh, the fabric of whatever future we're going to weave for ourselves where there's less oppression and more joy and more, and more of those shining eyes, more of that like <clears throat> colorful silence where everyone's like, like right. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Yeah, we need more of that. We need more of that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'll see. Thank you for for sharing all three of those stories. I found myself, I sort of found myself there a little bit in each one and and in in the space of that Russian death metal rocker wearing the aggressive t-shirt who's crying. (laughs) Exactly. That's priceless. Yeah. Or the young prisoner who's maybe been shaped by his or her journey through the world and has made some choices or been forced to make some choices that are quite scary, but still yeah. to say there's beauty here. Yeah. Or to be a little kid, to be seven years old and go, wow. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. I also have to say that when you're open to share or, or draw different people into your experience or creating an experience for them, you yourself also become much more open to other experiences yourself. Like for some, for someone, uh, what we just talked about, uh, the the Russian death metal guys may sound like, oh, they're listening to something that is bad or worse or. Whatever, so there can be like a, a certain stigma about people coming to a concert hall not being dressed properly or something like that. But guess what? I occasionally enjoy quite a bit listening to all the genres of music yeah. at metal included, and there is an enormous power and role in that as well. And to be able not to be snobbish and saying, oh, I'm playing the best music ever and everything else is bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very important skill because mm. unfortunately I find a lot of a lot of colleagues that um, like to, to, to judge that way that this is the better music, that is the worst music, and there's not, not such a thing. You know, there are different, completely different um power sources and different instruments and different 
messages, but all these different mediums save lives of people. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Because like even talking about, you know, death metal, for instance, I know personally some people who discovered this music, wanted to play it, and it literally saved yeah. their lives because it provided them energy and power and inspiration from literally dying for, from, you know, certain very, very difficult causes. So one can never, you know, be blindfoldedly saying, oh, this is bad or this is not good enough or this, yeah. this is that and labeling things like that because you never know what it means for somebody who's next to you. Yeah. Uh, that is just such a important insight and such a gift to honor that there are infinite ways into art and that if someone is given an opportunity to find that way in, it might very well save their life. Yeah. I'm struck by the ways in which, you know, so we're in this really interesting moment with, with a global pandemic. And of course there's varying responses in different countries. And we just like the short, the headline is it's been really hard. I think in my, from what I've seen is it's been a hard time for a lot of performing musicians mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. Um, and often when times get hard, people in general, not just performing musicians, it seems to me, we often think that the arts are super, superfluous or a nice to have, or, you know, schools get their budgets are cut. The arts are the first to go. Like there's all these ways in which when times get quote unquote hard, mm -hmm. there's a, there's a way in which we might start to think that we need to focus on what really matters. Mm -hmm. But I actually like, want to underline and i'd love to hear you explore this because i know you've you have a lot of friends and colleagues who who are musicians in this time like how why does art matter it's literally you're saying art saves lives and and i want to go even deeper into that because it just feels really important right now that especially as we're separated by distance and limited in our ability to be in large shared spaces together, how can we actually go even further into art as a way to stay grounded and open and filled up when life is, can be really hard? I wonder how that lands with you. It's a the oh, theory of mine. I want to see how it lands with you. It's a, it's a very good question. It is kind of hard to answer for, for, for me because I can only speak for myself. Yeah, please speak for yourself and, on this. Um, and I'm saying this because different artists, and by artists I mean people who are creative through different forms of art, musicians, painters, poets, you know, writers, anyone who, uh, who creates. I think there's a big number of these people who do that because they cannot not do that. Yeah. There is a 
fair number of people who do that because it is fun. But they technically could be doing other things, but it is just enjoyable. And, and this is something that provides them with all sorts of life rewards, you know, um, connecting with others and exploring different things. And there are people for whom it is a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, would that be a good thing or bad thing for every individual? It is, it is an individual thing. And there, are, there is a receiving end. People who connect with art on a spiritual level. People for whom seeing art is, is just a genuine joy and, and they like to observe and, you know, things like that. There are people who observe art and they learn through that about themselves. Mm-hmm. There are people uh, who observe art and realize that they can keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are people who stumble upon the examples of a human achievement and they realize that Art is the one of the strangest and most phenomenally unpredictable and inexplicable achievements of human nature, like both in music and in poetry and in visual art and in philosophy as well. You know, we can, we can, look at uh, an achievement from a physical world, (laughs) physical world, Um, you know, cars or rockets or machinery, which is extraordinary crafted. And it takes, it took so many decades of thinkers developing and owning certain practices to bring us in technology to where we are now. Andy, we're, we're talking yeah. On Zoom, yeah. all things, okay? <laughs> it's so, so remarkable. 30, 40 years yeah. ago, it was just only in like sci-fi movies people could do yeah. that, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like it is unbelievable how, how these things are now possible. But all of the above, right, merges together in this very important web of human relationships Mm. because one thing is connection. All these things are making not just people, people's relationships with each other and the world more refined, but it also helps people find their purpose and I think that that is one of the most divine thing things. Um, that sense of I will die, my kids will die, mm. the kids of my kids will die. Mm. This thing that I wrote, or this thing that I painted, or thing, this thing that I created, will stay after me. 
And I know not everyone thinks this way when they decide to take art classes <laughs> or go to music school or whatever. But by attending to whatever uh, art source or medium uh, you, you, you choose, you basically step into eternity mm. that is filled uh, by also infinite examples of people who sing about the same thing. So, yeah, in case of emergency, maybe reading a book or listening to a sonata or uh, uh, looking <laughs> at, you know, Franz Hals's portrait may not be necessarily the, 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 the first thing you would do. And that's why people, you know, cut funding of their arts because, you know, there are other things to spend money on, for instance. And uh, there's deficit everywhere. But, but that is, you know, that is uh, decisions from the physical world, <laughs> as I want to, <laughs> want to put it. Yes. Because, because, because that sense of magic and, and that sense of uh, our lives mm. being mm. fulfilled. Yeah, yeah, you can go hiking every day, but there's so much more. <laughs> I just got... Hiking yeah. every day is a glorious thing to do. Yeah. Also, also brings you to a lot of thoughts and helps you to discover a lot about yourself. But. Mm. Mm. There's so much in there. I want to, uh, I want to just share one fun image. I have like this, this sort of like, you know, in a fire, in a fire, there's a break in case of emergency, pull this alarm. And I'm just picturing like a, you know, like a recording of sonatas or etudes and it's like break in case of emergency. So just like maybe give, if you're listening, give yourself permission actually to notice how something beautiful might, might just be the thing you need in an emotional or psychic emergency, if not perhaps a physical one. But there's something you said about this, uh, this idea of, of being in eternity, of, of communicating with and entering into eternity that maybe we could, we could flesh out together a little bit more because it feels really important to me, at least as a father. <laughs> um, something I make, a song I write, a book I write, may or may not last actually like there's a bit of a there's a oh, bit yeah. of a, a a kind of i'm absolutely drawn into the idea that something i wrote and certainly certainly maybe maybe egoic parts of me are especially drawn into the idea that something i wrote might be read by some stranger a hundred years from now but what i've really been actually tuning into is when i'm gone even if no one except my daughter <laughs> gets a chance to, to choose to read the book she doesn't have to she might be like dad this looks boring but like you know to just have to to know that to know that like she and I might continue in a sort of almost magical eternal way stay in communication with each other because because at some moment in the past I was pouring whatever energy and self I had into a process of creation and artistry feels really fucking important to me. Like that feels really special and beautiful. 
And if she in turn shares that with, maybe she's an adult now and she has a partner and she shares it with them or she has kids and she shares it with them like that. Whew, that really moves me a lot. And I wonder, I wonder what that moves in you as I share that back to you. No, it, 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 it seems, it seems very special. Um, I'm yet to get to that point of thinking because <laughs> yeah, I have to produce someone. <laughs> <laughs> which I haven't <laughs> yet, but I'm working on that. <laughs> but um, I think the way the way you you talk about your kids and your grandchildren connected with you on this way, you can put in that seat anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And that sharing then um the the concept of sharing is a very very uh complex and wide thing because everyone is gonna see in what you did themselves first because everyone experiences through the prism of what they are mm -hmm. and there are moments when you you read a book and the message that you get from a book is different from somebody across the street who read the same book and got a completely different message. But then another person on another street will read the book and then they would think, oh, this moves me so much, I would want to write a sequel <laughs> or a continuation yeah, yeah. or there's somebody who would write uh, read a book and it would relate to them so strongly they would feel oh my god this person might have known me when they were writing the book right and so that uh palette of responses mm. and possible other life outcomes is incredible yeah. and um the word sharing became so beaten in the last decade or so of emerging uh, social media and whatever it's just like oh i shared this on my put a name <laughs> yeah. yeah and it, it became kind of very mundane thing but in in the core the concept of sharing is very, very deep and it goes thousands and thousands of, of years ago. And, you know, when first people were learning how to share their foods and their shelter and other things with, with huh. others. And, and I think this is sharing art is, about as important as sharing food and shelter. <laughs> At least it can become one mm. for many people.
I love that you're inviting us into this really the ground of sharing, the way in which sharing is an act of co-sustaining each other's lives. That if we were, I mean, if we really look at, at human history to be exiled from a tribe in, in our pre, you know, in our nomadic times was akin to a death sentence, right? And may, maybe not, but very likely you re we really need each other. And there's ways in which, because the world has gotten so much more complex, sometimes we lose sight of that. Or maybe actively people tell us that that no longer matters, that we can just all do it all by ourselves. But there's this real sort of substantial, like literally filling ourselves up with each other's sharing of food, of shelter, of music, of story, of his shared history that, yeah, it seems to me that you're really in touch with that as an artist and that when you're, when you drop into those moments where everyone's like right there, you're dropping into that kind of sharing. Or at least I try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and as one listener among the many, many, many that you have touched, I really want to extend a big hug of gratitude for that effort. The Thank fact you. that you try is really special. Well, you know, in our lives, in the lives of artists, again, very wide meaning of artists, there are periods of, of, of our lives where we are practicing our art, but we are afraid to be vulnerable and we are rather than sharing we are proving mm -hmm. mm. and um, it happens for a variety of reasons but sometimes artists go to uh, enormous heights of quality in their art just because they want to defend themselves and it is a sad thing even though some a certain good comes out of it because it it, it draws people to work hard and to become the best versions of, the, of themselves but at the height of the point that they uh, achieve it is very important to kind of tell yourself okay i'm there I'm good and uh, I'm now ready to open up because mm -hmm. I think this lays in the in the ability of whoever is on the receiving end to be touched by what you're doing and I know and I've witnessed myself certain performances or certain um, compositions or certain visual art objects and things like that that are in, that are done with insane mastery, and you can you can appreciate how incredible the mastery is, but it leaves you unengaged. Mm -hmm. This is my own theory. It's not like I. I'm, I'm preaching here. I'm saying like, this is how it works. But I think 
that in order to touch others, we need to not be afraid to be vulnerable and to be open to, to really share versus to display. Just, you know, I can, I can show you and I can share this with you, but I can show you and just like, this is me and this is you. And then what you would, you, what you've done becomes a fence between you and everybody else. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's why is um, the word sharing gets yet another little. Content, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of fences and walls, we need doors and windows and, you know, this, yeah. Space opens as opposed to closes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Asya, I feel really full with possibility right now. And I feel a real sense that I'm just, I can't wait for people to hear this conversation and also to hear your music, which we're going to weave into this conversation, because I, my deepest wish is that this, what we've been sharing with each other right now also becomes a share and the deepest sense that you're describing for anyone else who connects in. And I wonder as we, as we come towards our our home stretch in the conversation, what are you present to right now that you feel called to say or speak to, to anyone who might be listening? Is there anything else that you want to bring into our shared space that might open up even more room for possibility? I've I've been witnessing among many of my colleagues and people that I notice around this growing sadness during the pandemic, during the loss of loved ones, during during this time when people think, oh, Things are never going to be the same again, and what I'm going to do. And, uh, I witnessed with a lot of sadness some of the colleagues saying, "Oh, the world has shut down. I don't feel like I owe to anyone to create right now. I'm just going to do, be doing something else." Hmm. And. <laughs> saddens me because I feel it is like a play of fear. Yes, we need to figure out how to sustain our lives. Yes, we need to, you know, figure out how to, you know, be moving uh, in our lives and, and, and be well. But I also believe that if we sincerely grounded and connected to what we're doing or what we're expressing or what we are believing in essentially get us through anything because because it is a like a this little magical thing because it's it's doing art and being really believing in it 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 is. It has a lot of features of religion, except 
except it doesn't call for anyone's uh, execution because you're not into that faith, but you're in another or in another or in another. There's no wars uh, in, in that uh, in that realm, and but it is it has spirituality and power to bring you through anything. You know, I listen to so much music when I have my darkest times and my most difficult moments. Uh, my mom got hit by a car when I was 19. Hmm. She, she, she recovered well, but um, her trauma was very, very difficult and she was in coma for three days and you know I was ready for anything and I was sitting at home and was listening to music like almost 24-7 I couldn't sleep because I was terrified that my mom would pass away but I was listening to a lot of a lot of orchestral and chamber and whatever music and it really was kind of drawing me out of like that swamp of, of, of black and dark thoughts and fears. And at the end of the day, when I was ready to, you know, to snooze a little bit, I felt like this really saved my day. This really saved my day. This really saved my day. And going going back now, in thought, I have no idea what would I do if I didn't have that opportunity to have records and listen to, to music or to play myself. Yeah. I had a concert scheduled that same week when my mom uh, got hit, and I did not cancel it. Because of that, everybody else assumed that, oh, things are not too bad with your mom. You're, you're playing. That means everything is good. <laughs> but it actually meant to me meant the opposite. Because mm. if I would not play, I would not, I would then feel like I'm giving up myself and I'm giving up my mom. I was playing on stage and my mom was still in coma at that, that moment. And I was just like, I wish for whatever mysterious way that my mom could hear me right now that I'm playing because she's somewhere there she's she's flying around because she's not in her body so it's important to get to to remember it's important to remember that these things are much more than they may appear to be and I wish for everyone to yeah. be able to notice that and use that and experience that in their lives Oh. Hmm. I'm really glad I created that space. Thank you for sharing that story. I'm glad that your mom recovered. And I'm glad that you had art to help save your life and keep you going. And maybe in some way it saved hers too. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Thank you, Andy. This 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 room that you have. It's a very special place. Oh. I love being in it. 
Uh, yes, it was really such a gift and a privilege to sit with you and be with you and learn from you. Thank you for bringing yourself in. Thank you. Yeah. So for anyone who's listening and they want to go hear more or learn more right here in this moment, where would you want them to go? Is there a good place out there in the wild west of the internet that they can learn more? Oh, I have a lot of things to listen to on my YouTube channel. Mm. Mm. And uh, there are random performances there. There is also a playlist of my project called Midnight Pieces. Yeah that I curated and have been recording for a while with music that I felt was suitable for a nighttime listening. But through that project, I, I uh, make room for a lot of underplayed masterpieces. Mm-hmm. And I uh, record not only a piece of music that are very well known and kind of relate to the nighttime such as Claire de Lune by DBC for instance <laughs> but there are also a lot of uh, composers of different origins uh, and they're very obscure and rarely played pieces uh, and there are also special p- uh, places given uh, to rarely played Russian composers and also I share my own transcriptions in that project which I take um, a piece of chamber music, a piece of uh, like a, a song from a song cycle, uh, and other arias from operas, and I transcribe them and make them into solo piano concert pieces, and those can be also found there. Lovely, yeah. I've had a chance to listen to a few of the midnight pieces, and it's a wonderful collection and in a wonderful way in if you're listening to this and you've never really identified as someone who connects to quote-unquote classical music which of course is just part of this big conversation that you've taken us into this this long ongoing chain of creativity and artistry those those pieces are a really great place to enter and and for the deep lover of classical music you'll find lots of new you find lots of new space and color in there so I can't wait for people to hear it. <laughs> okay. Asya, thank you so much. This has been a real treat. Thanks everyone for listening in.
Thanks for tuning in to the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Sirqua, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.